This episode is not about me trying to get to the bottom of the details of the early Christian churches. It's about me just wondering about all of that. The what in terms of what happened back then has been done to death. There must be a million podcasts on that. You don't need another one of those. Yeah. But, sorry, I'm on a train station. So, so as is the case with all my podcasts, you have a good weekend too. As is the case. Oh, they're noisy. I'll give up. On to the episode. Before I started this series of episodes in this podcast, this series that's got a subtitle called The Papacy, before I started this little series on the papacy, I thought we had a pope and that all the other Christians had patriarchs. Uh, by we, I mean we Catholics, because <laughs> I'm a Catholic. <laughs> That's how my son uh, says. Catholic, yeah, Alex, what are you? He says, I'm a Catholic. <laughs> um, okay, uh, I thought we had a Pope and the rest had a pat, had a, each had a patriarch. All right, but as I've you know, now that I've listened to my friend, um. Steve, or whatever his name is, uh, who's making a podcast on the papacy, the papacy, the papacy. Um, yeah, I thought there was only one papacy. There seems to be a lot of papacies now that I'm getting into it. Uh, once I started listening to him, uh, it's it's become clear to me that a pope is a patriarch, and a patriarch is a pope, and a papa is a patriarch, and a papa is a pope. It's all the same thing. Okay, I've got, to, I've got to work this out. I have to work this out. I don't want to say I gotta, you know. I, I, I don't know when I started saying I gotta. Because you know, I know I didn't say it when I was younger. Um, I think we, have we got that from America? Maybe we haven't, maybe I did say gotta, you know. But I don't think I used to say it. I've got to, you know, I, I think we used to say that maybe. I've got to. Um, we're picking up uh, Americanisms um, these days. Look, maybe we always were. All right, now let's work this out. Um, where do the popes come from? Where do the puppers come from? Where do the patriarchs come from? Right. Um, so far, what have I learned? Well, that it was that. Uh, you know. Well, what have I learned? You know. Um, you don't learn anything in this life. You just hear ideas. Right, I've heard an idea that the Jews were fairly conservative in history up till the time of um, the Roman Civil War. You know, Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, all that stuff, you know. Um, Augustus and all that. Right, so there was a huge civil war in Rome. Oh, no, take it back a little bit. Right, what I've heard is the Jews were, you know, a, a religion, a way of life. And um, there weren't too many radicals trying to... Um, uh, what do they? What's that term they use on social media these days? Create a new paradigm. There weren't too many people trying to create vastly new paradigms, you know. You were Jewish or you weren't. All right. And there was a thing called a Mosaic Law. 
following Moses, you know. All right. And people used to follow the Moses law, the Mosaic law. Yeah. And I'm sure there were variations, but it was basically if you were a Jew, you were a Jew. And then the Jews met the Romans, is roughly how I see it. Um, in a big way, they met the Romans because Rome took, on, took over their, the land, uh, you know, that area, Judea. All right. And when the Romans came along, now, I think the Jews were always exposed to Greek and vice versa in the east, further in the east. Um, and they would have known who the Romans were too. All these people shared lots of culture. Um, you know, the flood myth was everywhere. You know, The Moses myth was everywhere. Um, the Moses myth... Sargon of Arcadia, I read about him, and I heard about him. Um, he was um, a slave boy or something, you know, and his mother put him in a basket and in the reeds, you know, and this is before Moses. Um, and he floated down in that basket into the palace, you know, maybe that was Babylon or something, and a princess picked him out of the basket and... Um, brought him up in the royal household and he became a great king. Sounds a lot like Moses, you know, floating down the river to Egypt. Um, whatever palace Moses floated down to. What was that? I don't even know. Was it Memphis? A long distance information. Get me Memphis. Tennessee. I don't know. Um, but anyway, same sort of thing, you know. Um, okay. Uh, but these were standard um, stories coming out of this, you know, this that were floating around the Mediterranean world. And most of these stories, I think, that you know, such as you find in the Bible, um, came from Semitic, ancient Semitic traditions. So Sargon was Semitic, you know, Arcadian, the Semites, um, you know, where Abraham originally came from in the Fertile Crescent. And obviously the Jews were one of the Semitic mobs too, you know. And Semites ended up in Ethiopia and Semites ended up all over the joint. Some Semites ended up, you know, Phoenicians, I think they were Semites. And they ended up in Carthage and they ended up Rome's greatest uh, foes, the Carthaginians. You know, so you get Semites everywhere. And in the Semitic culture, you seem to have certain... Um, stories, oral traditions that are told, you know. And one of those stories is the story of a great flood, you know, which actually, and that story seems to be absolutely everywhere, all the way across to India, you know, everywhere. Um, and um, so everyone's got a flood story and it's all, and they're all roughly the same. Uh, the Greeks as well, what was the... And I'll, I'll muck it up. I'm pretty good on the Greek myths. But anyway, there's one Greek myth. And I think this one is way back at the start, you know. And way, way back at the start. Before Zeus even, you know. He's a Gaia and all that sort of stuff. And there was a great flood. And the whole land was covered. Um, and with water and all that sort of stuff, you know. And then there was just the tops of the mountains peeking out. And... Uh, a boat came to rest on one of those and all that sort of stuff. And there's one in India as well. And, you know, and, um, and Rome had a Moses-type story too. Um, and, and Rome had a virgin, uh, a, a mother who was trying to claim to be a virgin, um, you know, got knocked up, as it were, um, and um, claimed to be a virgin. And all that sort of thing you know so these stories are flying around all the time and they get reworked into the Jewish tradition as well all right so it all starts with the Jews you know but, it, but by saying that it all starts with um, the stories that were floating around the Mediterranean which you know and these stories reached up as far as, you know, Rome and Greece and across to Egypt. But they also came from those places too. I'm sure that um, the, um, you know, Babylon and all that and those lands borrowed ideas. Every, it's cultural exchange, isn't it? I wonder who came up with each idea first, you know. And then 
each of the cultures in the Mediterranean world, um, and you know, all the way across to Persia and India and all that sort of stuff, they would have come up with their own ideas too that made them distinctly different. You know, a lot of Greek ideas um, were very much Greek, you know, um, and so on. And a lot of Egyptian ideas were very much Egyptian, you know. But, you know, the Egyptians had the idea of one god. Um, Akhenaten was it? Um, he was, you know, he was one god, um, and and then that was, um, you know, and he overturned the idea of um, polygods, multiple gods, and said no, there is only one god, you know. And this is, as far as I can tell, this is quite apart from anything the Jews were doing, as far as I can tell. I had, I'd, I'd have to check back on my chronology, um, and also the Jews. You know, they, they had multiple gods too. You know, that's what Moses was upset about, wasn't it? Um, and this, you know, and, um, you know, golden calves and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, Moses just went up to the hills um, to speak to God and then he comes back hardly any time later and already they're falling back into multiple gods, all the people, you know. And he says, stop that, you know, stop that, one god, you know. And the Egyptians were doing that as well, you know. And then you get, you know, like the Greeks, you know, uh, had, I, you know, they had um, 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 uh, reincarnation, you know, because one of Plato's students said, I'm really keen on reincarnation, you know. And Plato said, well, if you're keen on it, use it, you know. Plato was cool about that. Um, Plato said, if you like reincarnation, um, you know, he, uh, Plato was sort of saying, we don't know what happens to us after we die. So if you want to... Insert, and he said, anything you don't know, you know, Plato was of the opinion, you don't have to say, I just don't know and don't even put anything, um, and don't even come up with anything. Plato was very much into, if you don't know something, well, insert a myth, you know, insert a story that works for you. You know, and he was very comfortable with that, Plato. And he said to his student, if you like reincarnation, go for it. You know, he said, I... I think Plato might have said, I'm kind of still keen on Zeus and all that, you know, or whatever, you know. Um, and, um, but Plato would say, but don't forget it's a myth, you know, uh, whereas the Indians don't treat it as a myth, reincarnation. And, you know, it, and, and Plato would have said, if, if another student had come up to him and said, I'm pretty keen on the Jewish God, actually, he would have said, good, yep, all for that, you know, because, you know, I'm a thinker, said Plato. I'm a thinker, so, um, and, um, so, I'm, I can accommodate these things, because thinkers can, thinkers can entertain ideas without necessarily having to believe them. They can entertain them, they can bring them to dinner, and have, have some fun with them, you know. Um, um, and Plato was one of those people, you know, and, um... Uh, yeah, but uh, whereas, you know, Plato would have said to his student, you can have God, you know, like if you think you're going to die and go to heaven, great. You know, have that as your placeholder. Yeah. Um, a placeholder in the, you know, algebraic sense, you know, like algebra, X, you know, X plus Y, they're placeholders, you know, X, if X equals 2, um, and you, then X you know, you reserve X to, and don't worry, you know what I mean. Right, um, so, anyway, um, but the Jews, um, oh God, I've completely forgotten what I was talking about. Um, oh Zeus. <laughs> all right, but let's get back to where it all started. And it all starts with, um, the Jews, yeah. Uh, Without forgetting um, that something else is going on in the world besides Judaism, when the Jews are doing their thing, and there's something else that's going on in the world that pertains to this little story I'm about to tell, is the Greco-Roman culture. You know? um, and I think it starts with that too, the story I'm about to tell, the story of Jesus and the popes, and so on. Okay. So there are lots of cultures going on, you know, and they're all feeding off each other. There's cultural exchange. There's a rapper called Naz who has noticed this cultural exchange from places between places like Egypt and Babylon and Rome and Greece 
and he has interpreted that in his rap songs, I've heard some of them, he has interpreted that as, we Africans taught the Greeks everything they know. <laughs> That's how he interpreted that. Bow down before Naz, the rapper, because we taught the Greeks and we taught the Romans, you know. But, oh, well, if you replay what I just said, I'm, I did suggest that the Greeks and the Romans came up with a few things by themselves, you know. It was more cultural exchange, I would say, than as. Um, people were exchanging ideas, you know. All right. Um, okay. Um, so, we had the Jews. And then we had the Romans and the Greeks. And we had the Egyptians and we had everyone else. And we had Babylon and all that sort of stuff. Everyone's grabbing your ideas. But um, the standout cultures uh, for our little story, the ones that, you know, that I want to focus on were the Jews and the Greco-Romans, I'll call it, or just the Romans if I want to be lazy. Okay, and the way I see it from listening to what I've been listening to, um, the Jews, when Rome came and took over, well, everywhere, except Ethiopia, says the Ethiopians, and they're right, um, and except Persia and a few other places. Right, now, um, when they took over Judea, the Jews were thrown, were brought within the Roman Empire and were exposed to the Roman way of life, which I loosely refer to sometimes as the Western, the Western way of life back then, the early Western way of life, you know. The Western world um, version one, the Greco-Roman Empire, you know. I like saying it like that. Um, right. You know, then we had the Dark Ages, then then we had the Renaissance, and then we had the Western World Part Two, which is the one we're in. You know, that's the way I sort of loosely look at it. Right. So Romans, Greeks, all that sort of stuff. So, um, so the Jews became subject peoples. You know, um, client state and all that sort of stuff. They 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 found themselves within the Roman Empire, you know, and hence, you know, when the Roman Empire calls for a census, uh, Mary and Joseph have to go off to Bethlehem and register for the census, you know, um, and it's all Rome's doing. All right. Okay. And when the Jews came within the Roman Empire, they were living in that Western world, you know, much like an immigrant coming into Australia now. Um, from a land that's not Western, uh, is exposed to the Australian way of life. And, you know, inevitably, um, if not that person, but that person's children, come under, you know, uh, adopt all sorts of Australian ideas. You know, the dominant culture is always very influential, you know. So, um, uh, immigrants coming into Australia are heavily influenced. Look, they all tend to tell me, you've got no culture and we've got all the culture, you know. And I've talked about that in another episode. I've, we've, um, and without explaining it, we've got a hugely powerful culture in Australia. Hugely powerful. In fact, it's the dominant culture pretty much in the world. Um, and, um, you know, because we're a British culture, um, essentially. And, um, and... It's, you know, every other culture pretty much bows down and uh, culturally and has taken on most of our ways, much more so than in the reverse, all right? Okay, so that's that. Um, but the same would have been in Rome. And the Jews are suddenly living within Rome and Roman ideas are everywhere. And in Rome, what you've got, the Jews in the Greco-Roman world... I'll say the Greco-Roman world, because um, Paul, for example, was born in, you know, the Greco world, the, very much the Greece world, you know, the Greek world, um, in, well, Tarsus, as I understand it, which is in modern-day Turkey, but, you know, uh, which was, back then, was part of, you know, the Greco world, the Hellenic world, you know. All right, so you, you've... A Jewish community over in you know what is modern day Turkey, but what was a Hellenic land back then? Um, you've got Jewish communities within a super 
um, civilization called Rome. And they're taking on Roman ideas and they just can't stay that Jewish, you know, especially the young ones. Young ones like Jesus and all that in his 20s, Jesus. You know, because when he burst onto the scene, he was 30. So he'd clearly spent his 20s being heavily influenced by Greco ideas um, and Roman ideas and all his followers too. And so had, well, Paul didn't have to because he was brought up brought up in the Greco-Roman world and his father was a Roman and he, his first language was Greek, you know, so that's the way that works. Um, but what happens is you have all sorts of Jews and I sort of, you know, looking around the world today, progressive Jews um, wanting to essentially Romanize or, or Hellenize, you know, and the ancient Jewish ways, are, you know, the conservative Jewish ways are not cutting it and they want to be progressives, you know. So, and Jesus is one of those. He's a radical, progressive, you know, um, and these little sects uh, grow up, uh, come, you know, start popping up everywhere. And one of those sects with, um, you know, the hippies of their days um, is headed up by Jesus. And as far as I can tell, the message these sects are preaching are still Judaism, but Hellenized and Romanized. That's as far as I can tell. And Jesus was just one of them. That's where it all starts. All right, I'll go to the next level in a minute because I want to get to the popes, you know, the patriarchs, the papas, you know. And this kind of repeats um, episodes I've done previously, but every time I do a new episode, I add a layer, I think. Okay? So this is where it all starts, you know, with all these sects popping up all over the Jewish world. And one of those sects is headed up by someone called Jesus, you know, the man, the legend, the myth. Well, he wasn't called Jesus, but we've been through that five times already. Whatever he was called, Joshua. Probably Josh. But just think, just we've got one little sect and it's not dramatically any different than a lot of other sects um, popping up all over um, Judea and beyond in the Roman world, and and as far as I can tell, they're Jewish, young Jewish, I think young. I bet you they were mostly young. I bet you they were mostly young in their 20s, you know, and even in their teens, young men normally, and, you know, young women too probably, and they start all these sects that are pretty much progressives, you know. And it's funny to think that the Christians are going to end up the progressives, isn't it? Because these days Christians are seen as conservatives, you know, so does that mean that the whoever are, people who are creating new paradigms in the 21st century, the progressives of today, are they going to be the conservatives of tomorrow? Hmm, that's not a very new idea, is it? All right, we Jesus has arrived as a as one sect amongst many. The idea of Jesus has arrived. That's where it's all starting. We'll get on to the popes next. It occurs to me that for the story I'm about to tell, which is one in which roughly um, various members of this new sect uh, spread out, fan out, and uh, start little communities all over the place, little I don't think they're called Christian communities yet, are they? I don't wonder when the word Christian started. When the word Christ came about. Who came up with that? Um, it's a Greek word meaning something. <laughs> um, probably really early, you know, someone... Uh, it would have been a descriptive, a descriptive title. Whatever Christ means in Greek, you know, um, you know maybe rock star, you know. And um, the... The uh, the 
members of the sect who were fanning out, you know, were going out and saying, you know, we want to tell you about our rock star philosopher, you know, something like that. And that, that's where the word Christ comes from. Now, the word Christ will mean something different than that, but, you know, something along those lines. And when did the word Jesus start? You know, at some stage, um, as these, uh, these sect members fanned out, it would appear surely they started using, you know, when someone said, who is this amazing leader that you had, you know? And perhaps these sect members had to speak to mainly uh, people who may, you know, the common, the lingua franca, is that it? Uh, the common language was Greek, wasn't it? And Latin. Um, but a lot of people spoke Greek back then, even the Romans, you know, the Latin-speaking people even spoke Greek. So maybe when they referred to this great sect leader that they had, you know, they started saying his name was Joshua and, you know, people would say, what? And they'd say, you know, well, Jesus, you know, Jesus, you know, sort of Hellenised it, you know. Um, a little bit like um, if someone came to Australia from Italy, they might be called Antonio, you know, and uh, they get here, we call them Tone, you know, Tony, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. So it might have been a bit like that. So Jesus might be a bit of an Anglo... Anglo no, not an Anglicisation, a um, Hellenisation of whatever he was called. Maybe it was that, you know. But anyway, one way or another, one way or another, these sect members... I think it's fair to say, fanned out and started little communities and started writing letters and doing all sorts of things, okay? And um, and I've suggested that, you know, as my best guess, is that they were one sect amongst many. Uh, but then again, for all I know, they might have been a lot more unique than I'm guessing. Maybe there wasn't any other sect like them. Maybe they were... Um, very singular, you know, uh, probably the wrong word, but very, um, maybe they were very unique and really a cut above the others. You know, a little bit like Essendon, my football club, is just a cut above every other football team, you know. Maybe they were like that. Um, okay, so that's that, but one way or another. And it occurs to me that for the story I'm about to tell, which is one, which is a story about these sect members fanning out and starting communities um, and becoming, in retrospect at least, I don't think they, maybe they didn't think of themselves as these things at the start, but, you know, in hindsight, they, they come to be known as, you know, the original patriarchs, the original sort of bosses, you know, of, of the communities, the original papas, the original popes, you know, that's what these one, these sect members become as they fan out, I think, you know, I don't know if all of them did, but at least a few did, the ones I know of did become papas, became popes of sorts, all right, so they fanned out, um, now, it occurs to me, as I've said for the third time, that for the purposes of this story that I'm about to tell, it doesn't matter whether this sect was unique or not. And it doesn't matter whether this sect leader, Jesus, or whatever his name was, it doesn't matter whether he was 98 times better than all the other sect leaders, and put them in the shade, or if he was just one amongst many and this is the sect that got lucky. You know, I do sense that he, he must have been fairly unique, whoever this character was, upon which we base our idea of Jesus. And I do feel that he probably did have a message that was very much in the direction of the Jesus that we know now. Uh, but I dare say that there is, you know, the, of all the words, you know, there are more words attributed to Jesus now in the Bible, let's say, than he, he 
not all of them could have been, you know. I'm sure the scripture writers added a little bit here and there, you know. All right, but anyway, we've said all that sort of stuff before, so, but we will move on. Um, but one way or another, look, whether it was a really unique sect or whether it was one amongst a hundred, um, all that really matters is that we know now in hindsight that it became the one that really took off, you know. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, and, and became what we now know as Christianity. But what made it take off? What made it take off? And a little part of that might be that, you know, the original sect leader, Jesus, might have been a cut above the others. All right, that's one thing. Let's lock that, let's lock that in as a, a very good bet. Now, the next thing that might have made them a cut above the others is um, that their followers, that Jesus' followers were devout. You know, he might have got a really good sect going. It might have been close to a cult. I get the feeling it was more sect than cult, um, at a guess. Now, but his followers, um, he must be, he seems to have, whoever this guy was, you know, and I do think he, there was such a guy, um, he must have been, um, he must have swept them all off their feet. And that is really not hard to imagine because even in the modern age, you know, fairly regularly someone comes along that just sweeps everyone off their feet. And you, do, you do get these characters just rising up in a population every now and again and they, you know, and they just sweep the world, you know, Billy Graham style, you know. Okay. Billy Graham, he came to Melbourne once, MCG, something like 200,000 people, you know, and um, that's the sort of crowd Essendon gets at a home and away match at the MCG. Um, okay, um, which is pretty, you know, that's a real feather in Billy Graham's cap that he can get that sort of crowd. All right. Now, um, so we have, uh, we have a sect that must have had something going for it. Right, next thing. It would appear that after Jesus died, and there does seem to be some sort of, uh, you know, historians in the historiography sense seem to agree that uh, whatever sect leader it was that started Christianity, this Jesus, as we, as I'll call him, I'll call him Jesus, um... Yeah, that someone was executed. Yes, and that that person had been baptized some three years prior. You know, well, I don't know about three years prior, but had you know that really, in the historical sense, or you know, slightly verifiable. Um, most historians agree that the only thing we can know about Jesus is that he was baptized, as such, you know, with water, and that he was executed. Um, but everything, everything um, in between and everything before uh, is only speculation. You know, like his followers uh, tell us about all that stuff. The people that came after him fill in those gaps and we have to trust them a little bit. No, we, don't, we only have to trust them as much as we want to, you know. Um, and the gospel writers in particular who wrote his, let's say, biography are... Uh, yeah, they were writing. They weren't, you know, Matthew. They weren't Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I think most people agree, uh, but we've spoken about that before. You know, because the gospel writers wrote as if they were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe um, he, after having heard uh, people pass on what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, had said that Jesus had said, you know, but, you know, maybe they were all dead by the time the Gospels were written down. I don't know. All right, so that's that. Okay. The Gospels are basically a biography of Jesus' uh, life, I suppose. All right. Um, what is, you know, all right. So, um, so what have we got? Um, we've got... 
we've got a sect. Um, and the fire that has, that has been lit under these sect members, these cult members, the, no, these sect members, um, has been pretty strong. I think that's... And now, here's what happened. After Jesus died, and I'll say that from now on, that he died, um, you know, um, after Jesus died, at some point, this sect um, decided to, and it was a Jewish sect, it's really important, it was a Jewish sect, so technically, surely, only Jews could be in the sect according to ancient rules of being Jews, you know, mosaic law and all that sort of stuff. Right, so that's a really important point. Let's say, let's say there were 10 other sects and this was one of 11, you know. Um, my guess is that um, this particular sect, the Jesus sect, um, made themselves even more unique pretty soon after Jesus died because apparently there was a meeting and they call that meeting nowadays, they call that meeting, nowadays they call that meeting the Council of Jerusalem. But I think what it actually meant was a few of the apostles, you know, the followers, the sect members got together and had a meeting and, you know, minutes and all that sort of stuff. And at that meeting, bouncing off what Jesus had taught them, and Jesus was socially constructed in the Roman world too, um, bouncing off what Jesus had said them at this meeting, which we call the Council of Jerusalem now, um, a, 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 um, a very big decision was made, and that was to allow non-Jews to join the sect. Now... From what I've heard, historians, now I'm not going to name them because I don't know who they are. You know, people always say historians. Which ones? All of them? Some of them? You know, all right. Historians, there's general, uh, some historians or many um, say that this decision by this sect made them... You know, it was the first big thing after Jesus um, to push, make this sect, you know, set this sect up to be bigger than Ben-Hur. Okay, it was a big decision. Non-Jews could join. That's huge, you know. And in this, you know, I, it, it, it sounds like a religious version of Rome, doesn't it? In a, in a bit, because Rome used to, Rome ended up doing that too, uh, before Rome became Christian. But Rome was allowing what you might call non-Romans, you know, like in the "I'm from Rome" sense, I'm from that tribe. Um, Non-Romans to become Roman citizens, Romans, you know. So you ended up having Spanish emperors and all sorts of things, you know. And that's how a culture can go gangbusters, you know, and Rome did go gangbusters because of that. And, you know, rather than keeping other peoples out, they invited them in, you know, which is a big deal. And, um, and in a religious sense, in, um, the, um, Christianity mirrored that a little bit, I think, especially at this meeting, the, uh, this, um, this Council of Jerusalem and they decided to let Gentiles in, okay? Um, in a lot of ways, Christianity mirrored Rome, I think. You know, because Rome had a son of God, which was Augustus, and, you know, this sect had a son of God, which is called Jesus. It's almost like, you know, everything Rome did in the physical power sense, um, this sect started doing in a spiritual sense, you know? So Rome would announce the son of God, Augustus Caesar, who was the son of Julius Caesar, who was by that stage a god. And then, you know, lo and behold, um, Jesus would announce himself, so to speak, as a son of God that, you know, is um, a notch above Augustus Caesar, you know. Good way to get yourself executed, but, you know, he did it. And um, and eventually, um, I forget which one it was, um, it's a bit late, so I won't remember, Ambrose, I think, um, later on, you know, 
God in heaven became a kind of mirror image of, Rome, you know, the Roman emperor on earth. You know, had that same look and feel about it, you know. And Ambrose, um, what was he, Archbishop Ambrose? St. Ambrose, that's what he was. Um, St. Ambrose, uh, the Bishop Ambrose, whatever he was, um, you know, he wrote a very influential book much, much later, once Christianity had completely taken off, called City of God, you know. And I do get the sense that when he was thinking of the City of God, he was thinking of, you know, a version of Rome except in the sky, you know, something like that. Um, so you know, I do think, and I may be wrong on this, but I do think the Greco-Roman influence, you know, on this sect is what made it into something other than Jewish, you know, because technically it should have just been stayed a Jewish sect, but it became a non-Jewish sect. It became more than a Jewish sect. It became a Christian sect, a Christ-like sect, a sect after Jesus, you know, Um, a thing unto itself, quite separate from the Jews. There were other things that separated Christianity off from the Jews, and these were almost accidents of history, if you might say. But another one was, you know, a Holocaust. Um, when in Hadrian's time, um, he carried out a Hitler-style Holocaust, and I kind of think he went one better than Hitler, in a way, Hadrian. Um, he completely... St- destroyed Jerusalem and scattered the Jews, the ones he didn't kill, to the four winds. You know? And that's the famous moment when the Jews, even to this day, um, say, 2,000 years ago we were scattered to the four winds, you know, and we lost our, we lost um, Israel. Um, it was Hadrian that did that. What a bastard. <laughs> um, but when that did happen, you know, because we had this, you know, what you had in Rome was a Christian sect that was a... Um, that was uh, a bubble um, floating off out of the ocean that was Jewishness. Look, that was a really bad way of putting it. But you had Jewishness was the big thing, you know, the, the major ancient religion, the conservative ancient religion, and you had this upstart little sect. But when, um, called Christianity, but when Hadrian completely destroyed the Jews, which is what he did. I mean, you can't kill everybody. You can try, but you can't get there. But when he destroyed them, um, even more so, the the sect that was Christianity becomes more unique, in a sense, because the mothership is gone, you know. So if you've got a mothership, and then a small ship that comes off the mothership, and then the mothership's completely destroyed, suddenly that small ship that came off the mothership starts to look, um, you know, something even more separate from the mothership. And I think that's what happened with Christianity. And it became its, its own thing in a, in, a, in a bigger way. I think Hadrian, and that was pretty soon after Jesus died. Uh, I think that was about 70 AD that Jerusalem was destroyed. So hot on the heels of um, a progressive uh, cult uh, sect um, branching off from Judaism, Jewishness, the Jews themselves get smashed, you know, and really utterly, you know. Um, they, They were, a lot of them fled up into far beyond the northern borders of Rome into what then was the barbarian lands, the Germanic lands, you know. And I think they were to stay there and get found by Hitler many centuries later. Um, Okay. Now, and uh, Stalin as well and a few other people, you know. So that's a whole other story. And then they would come back, you know, finally after 2,000 years. So Hadrian kicked them out and... Hitler essentially brought them back, you know, by having a Holocaust up in Europe. Um, As a result of that, the Jews sort of came back to Israel after that. All right, but let's get back to 2,000 years ago again. And, um, And, yes, I think you do have these sect members branching out, you know, 
and um, and they become leaders. Let's call them leaders in their communities, the communities they spring out. Um, before I go on with those sect members, there was a there was a non sect. There was someone outside the sect who was still a conservative Jew and also a Roman. Now he's not one of the Christians on two levels. He uh, might not have liked these uh, this sect, these Christians on two levels. Paul might have not liked this mob um, on one level because he was a Roman. And I don't think they cared so much about the Christians. You know, they just, you know, they could hardly distinguish them from the Jews, I believe. Um, They just said, oh, they're just Jews too, you know. The Romans wouldn't have cared too much, you know, about the nuances between the various rabble, you know, between the Jews, the, you know, for the Jews it was a huge thing. These Christians are a very different thing than us. You know, and the Christians were saying we are very different than the rest of the Jews. But to all the Romans, you know, they were saying, oh, "You look, look, you're all Jews." And you know, and then you know, there's a great fire breaks out, and then Nero says, um, "Who are we going to blame?" And um, I think he was blaming anyone he could at the time. And um, I think there was a cult of ISIS, you know, which seems like and sounds like it comes from Egypt, doesn't it? But so this, you know, there was a sect growing out of that. There was there was magic sects everywhere, you know. Um, and uh, but there was also this cult of Jews out of the Jews, the Christians, and I think Nero was smashing the ISIS people, and I think he smashed a few Christians as well, and probably smashed a few Jews. Look, half the Romans probably didn't know the difference; they were just smashing anybody. Right now, but something huge happened. That was probably the biggest thing that had happened so far. Now I've mentioned that the biggest thing first. Firstly, the biggest thing that happened was. Jesus, okay, I think that's fair to say. Um, he's, you know, some pretty evangelical, pretty good prophet was bouncing around and he started a movement and he seemed to have got a lot of loyal followers. Right, the next thing is his followers were quite devout and they branched out and they were really, they were, um, yeah, they had fire in their eyes, these guys, you know. Um, now, the next thing that was a big thing was that... Um, this Council of Jerusalem, which in which they decided to allow non-Jews into their sect. That's the next thing that made this group big. But then the hugest thing that came along, the big, big thing that came along, was this character Paul, who as a conservative Jew was trying to smash them for a while, and as a Roman was trying to smash them as well. He was, oh, by the way, his father was Roman and his mother was Jewish, you know. So he was a Roman citizen, and that becomes really important, the fact that he was a Roman citizen. He, Paul, is not just one of these, um, you know, these um, Jews who are not even Roman citizens. You know, the Jews would have been like indigenous people in Australia are to the Romans, you know, something like that. Um you know, before, you know, uh, let's say 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, we didn't even make, uh, we didn't even, Australians didn't even allow Indigenous Australians, um, European Australians didn't even let Indigenous Australians be citizens, you know, they were just, you know, you, you, know, you could do things to the Jews that you couldn't do to Romans, you know. So you could crucify a Jew, you know, you, could, you can crucify uh, non-Romans, but you're not allowed to crucify Romans, you know. You have to cut off the Roman's head, you know. And that's how, um, that's why eventually Peter, who is one of the... Now, we have to make a strong distinction between Jesus and his followers, all those Jews, um, you know, um, and Paul, who is a completely different kettle of fish because he's a Roman. He's a Roman citizen. So Peter and Paul, completely different kettles of fish. Peter is just a, you know, a fisherman, bloody Jew, you know, whereas Paul is a Roman, which is a very different thing, you know. So Paul's got huge status on Peter. For a start, when they would eventually get executed, Peter will be crucified, but there is no way in law that Paul can be crucified. So he gets executed in a much more dignified way. His head's chopped off, you know. Um, 
uh, befitting a Roman, you know, that sort of thing, which is a big deal. That is a big deal, all right? So, but here's the big thing that happened. Already this sect, these Christians are going quite well by the look of it, and then suddenly they get the biggest backer of all. The man who would put them into the stratosphere, you know, they suddenly had in on their side not just another you know not you know this is just a bunch of jews you know what i mean and suddenly a roman decided to join their sect and not only that a roman who was a big deal you know or who would prove to be a big deal as well you know um greek speaking you know native greek speaker uh trained in Greek philosophy and all that sort of stuff, proper Roman education, um, status, all that sort of stuff, suddenly you get this guy joining your group. It's a, it's a little bit like if you're an amateur theatre company you know, and suddenly Brad Pitt joins. Suddenly everybody's watching. Um, Paul gave them a huge boost. And everywhere Paul went, um, you know, when a, when a Jew rocks into town and says, listen, we're Jews and we've got a really good version of Jew, Jewness to tell you, um, would you like to join us? They go, oh, yeah, all right, but, you know, we're not surprised that a Jew is promoting some Jewish idea, you know. That's, they're a dime a dozen, you know. But then Paul rocks into town uh, highly educated, you know, writes properly, all that sort of stuff. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if all the uh, apostles were illiterate. I know Peter wrote letters or something, I don't know how. Who taught him to write and read? I don't know. Anyway, but we know Paul was properly educated. So here's the next big thing that really got Christianity going. And I think a lot of people say this is the moment Christianity got into the stratosphere, Paul joined the sect. So I clearly reckon that Paul was a big deal, but he wasn't the only big deal. The Jesus factor is still a big deal. And all the other factors I've mentioned, and all the other uh, uh, sect members are a big deal. You know, Peter and James and the other ones. Judas, he was a big deal. Uh, They all go into the mix as uh, ingredients that, uh, that got Christianity going. And there were plenty of big deals to come along still. Um, probably the biggest deal uh, that was still to come might have been Constantine, you know. Um, he, you know that's for another day. Uh, he's a Roman emperor, you know, down the track, who, uh, you know, the Romans, they were famous for, uh, they were famous for, if you, uh, for not being too, for being open to switching religions or you know making up a new god or taking a god from here or a god from there if it works um it's very hard as a a, a sort of catholic i'm a catholic uh it's hard for a catholic to sort of get into that mind space perhaps uh the mind space of um a roman in the ancient world who might be into one god and then suddenly uh, says, you know what? Oh, that, that God's not working for me anymore. I'm going to switch. You know? And to a certain extent, um, that made it a little bit easier for Rome to switch to uh, Christianity uh, when the ancient Roman gods were no longer doing the job for them. You know? A very practical mob, the Romans. I mean, even the ancient Roman gods weren't their own per se. They grabbed them off the Greeks, thought they were quite useful. Yeah, that sort of thing. That's how practical the Romans were. Um, all right. Yeah. And, uh, and even, you know, their language, you know, so they borrowed a lot of Greek into Latin. They're a little bit like the English, except in the ancient world. Um, yeah, English, yeah. Oh, there's a good word over in France. We'll take that, you know. 
Um, whereas the Greeks, they were much more um, idea makers, you know. They were philosophy creators, you know. Uh, whereas Rome was philosophy users. And um, the Jews were, well, the Semitic peoples, you know, because the Jews were just one group amongst a whole Semite way of thinking that included you know, all the people, you know, Phoenicians and, you know, there were other, the Jews aren't the only, the only they're not the only Semites, you know, um, uh, the, uh, Assyrians, I don't know which ones were Semites, but, you know, Arcadians and all that sort of stuff, you know, they, the Jews were just one group of those. When Abraham, the legend, the man, the myth, uh, left Ur over in, you know, modern-day Iraq or wherever it was, and came to Israel, you know, he was just one of those Semite mobs. You know, the Jews are just one of those Semite mobs um, with all their, you know, Semitic culture and all that sort of stuff. All right, but they were a big deal too. They were ideas creators. You know, like the Indians... Uh, our ideas creators back then um, but the Romans were highly practical highly virtuous highly amoral in some ways I admire them uh, and you know, I reckon if Buddha had come to Rome and said listen I've got a deal for you you know maybe they were the Donald Trump of the ancient world <laughs> all right uh, in, in some senses, they're not even racist, really, you know, because Donald Trump made me think about that. Um, you know, sometimes I wonder if Donald Trump is so uh, um, lacking in, yeah, all he cares about is winning. And look, if someone is purely caring, only caring about winning, they're not racist because, probably, at a guess, because um, if, you know, let's say, some Vietnamese bloke comes up to him and has a good deal for him, Donald Trump. Yeah, he says, "Listen, I've got a good deal for you—a property deal." Uh, Donald Trump might sell his own grandmother. Yeah, who's Scottish, yeah, in favour of this Vietnamese guy. So, to that extent, I'm not sure where racism lives uh, with someone like Donald Trump. And maybe the Romans were a bit like that too. Um, yes, you know, they had their old families and all that sort of thing. But more so than I think most other cultures, uh, rather than now, there's a modern term. I hate modern terms, uh, the way people speak on social media and everything. But where other cultures would other, you know, othering, othering, so something about that I don't like. Just, um, but um, where, where other cultures would get into othering, you know, the Jews were into othering other cultures. You're not us, you're other. You know, most cultures were like that back in the ancient world. The Romans would say, would you like to be Roman? You know, now, not that they still had their elites, you know, the, the patrician families and all that sort of stuff. But gee, you know, some people from the sticks ended up, not in, not in very short order, some people in the sticks ended up Roman emperors and all sorts of things. You know, uh, Trajan, Hadrian, Hadrian, all those sort of people. Or Spanish, you know. There ended up uh, heaps of non-Italian popes, heaps uh, popes, uh, heaps of non-Italian emperors, and to a certain extent, I think Christianity mirrored that in a religious sense. Um, in in all of this, no Rome, no Christianity. I reckon. I reckon Rome made Christianity as much as as much as Jesus did, um, but for Rome, you know. Um, yeah. Now, there's two countries that were first, the first adopters of Christianity, you know, who made it their state religion. Uh, that was Armenia and Ethiopia. You know, they were the first two countries uh, to adopt Christianity, but they didn't make Christianity. Um, for Christianity to be made, the example that was required, the earthly example that was required, and the earthly power structure that was required and even uh, the open society that Rome was was a requirement with the roads going all over Europe and all that sort of stuff you know the Roman roads the, it wasn't like it, you know, later on Rome would fall and it would descend into a feudal sort of um, situation all over Europe and everything with castles and things like that and drawbridges and all that sort of stuff 
But back in the time of Jesus, it was um, a little bit like the EU. These days, you could just walk from one, from Rome to Greece to Gaul and all this sort of stuff, you know. Um, and that was huge. And that helped the spread of uh, Christianity too. Um, so no Rome, no Christianity as far as I can tell. And, uh, you know, and, and you know, these uh, cultures that are like Armenia and Ethiopia, that say, we were the first to take on Christianity as a state religion. I say, well, well good. Um, but Rome and Greece... Um, had to exist for Christianity to to exist. You know, I think Rome and Greece were the example. I don't think Armenian uh, culture or um, you know the ancient Armenian culture or, the, or Ethiopian, you know, the pre-Christian um, Ethiopian culture and the pre-Christian Armenian culture. Uh, inspired Jesus all that much, but I do think that Rome and Greece did. All right, and Egypt, because Egypt influenced Rome and Greece too, you know, uh, and so on. You know, look, everyone influenced everyone, but you know what I mean. Dominantly, Rome had to exist uh, as a template, as an earthly template, for Christianity to exist as a. Uh, a non-earthly version of Rome. I think Christianity might be a non-earthly version of Rome. And I do think Paul is a big deal in one very interesting way. Um, in other times and places, I have um, talked about Paul a lot because I think about Paul a lot. Uh, well, you know, I think about Essendon as well. Um, but... Uh, and cricket too at the moment. We smashed the Poms in the first test. Very nice. Uh, Steve Smith, 144, first innings, 142, second innings. Bradman-like, you know. Right, now, um, so Paul, he was, uh, you know, I've, I've, uh, he's kind of a narcissist and all this sort of stuff, you know. I've talked about him at length. And you know, I, at Mass, I listen to the letters of Paul. You know, I, I, um, I sort of get bored with every other reading. But if, 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 you know, if the priest says a reading from the letters of St. Paul to the Greeks, you know, which is, seems to be most of St. Paul's letters were to the Greeks. You know, he was Greek-speaking and he came from Greece, let's say. Um, a Jewish community within Greece, in Tarsus, in modern-day Turkey. Right. Uh, now, Paul was half Roman, half Greek, uh, half, half, sorry, half Roman, half Jewish, and to some very large extent, he was a narcissist, a narcissist smasher of Christians before he became a Christian, but then after he became a Christian, I think he became a narcissist supporter of Christianity, and that was good for Christianity. Um, not narcissist in the old sense, the ancient Greek sense of narcissist, who was oblivious to the rest of the world, but narcissist to the extent where he was engaged in the rest of the world. All right, two different types of narcissism. The original version of the original meaning of narcissist, uh, I believe, you know, was one of narcissists. The um, the the original, and he narcissist. Uh, fell in love with his own reflection and was oblivious to the rest of the world. He didn't care what people thought of them, thought of him. Whereas the modern version of narcissist tends to be uh, that people are intensely interested in what people think of them and, and want other people to think like them. Narcissist, the original narcissist, didn't care whether you thought like him or not, or he was just in love with himself, and that was the end of it. Yeah, and he was so in love with himself he forgot to eat and, and faded away and died. You know, that's a narcissist. That's a that's a ripper narcissist. You know, that's a pure narcissist. All right. Um, oh, hang on. Got to find my. I'm on the train at the moment uh, because my car is getting a service, a major service. So two days on the trains. I'm not used to that. Excuse me while I just. Oh, hang on. Here we go. You'll probably hear a train come in. Maybe my sister will be driving it. She's a train driver. Right. Uh, 
So uh, Christianity, to me, after Paul gets a hold of it, even more so becomes uh, a a um, an extension of himself, capital H, himself. Rome to me, I mean, sorry, Christianity to me starts to look like um, a an organisation that is an extension of Paul. And that would work if he's a narcissist, you know. And Jesus, even Jesus starts to look like a an extension of Paul, you know. Um, you know, G- uh, Jesus, start, Paul, Paul in um, saying, don't look at me, look at Jesus, but he's defining Jesus in such a way that Jesus starts to look like Paul. You know, narcissism can be really cool. Um, and uh, um, so I think Paul is a big deal, uh, and and I think the stage is set now. Um, we uh, we have a a sect that is often running, it, and and um, and here is my train. Um, I'll talk about the early leaders of all the communities that this sect was setting up in the next episode these leaders are what you might call bishops or popes or papas or whatever you want to call them and uh and you know i want to talk about those guys paul was never going to be a pope uh, by the way uh, Paul, I think, is a kingmaker, not a king.